Hey everyone, thanks for tuning in to Momenta on the Main Line. We're your hosts. I'm Dr. Joanna Holleran. And I'm Dr. Alon Green. We're here to talk about all things health, wellness, fitness, performance, and overall well-being. Hope you enjoy the show. guest today is a certified strength and conditioning coach and currently serves as the director of sports performance at Ascent Athlete in Garnett Valley, PA. At Ascent, he and his team work with all levels of athletes from middle school, high school, college to the pros, including up to 50 professional baseball players. He also serves as an adjunct professor at Widener University in the Doctor of Physical Therapy program and Cabrini University for undergraduate students in exercise science. In addition, he works as a fitness consultant for Altus Movement Technologies, and in 2019, he published his own research on baseball conditioning. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome Rob Rabina. Awesome. Thank you for having me on. Yeah, thanks for, thanks for being here. I've been excited about this for a while, and I was just telling you about it. But yeah, as we've kind of gotten further into it, we've had some strength coaches on with different, you know. Uh, focuses, but I think having the baseball focus has always been a big passion of mine. So I appreciate you taking yeah. the time. No problem. No problem at all. So we good. Yeah. So I, we just covered a little bit of the background. Um, I know there's actually a lot that we didn't mention in terms of the path that brought you here. Some of the internships, positions, uh, that, yeah. that whole windy road that kind of brought you to where you are. Um, yeah. What what got you into strength and conditioning in the first place? Yeah. Um, strength and conditioning kind of happened for me uh wasn't like the plan in college as a student as an undergrad i went in like undecided not knowing what to do um you know tried to take a business class couldn't get into the business class and ended up just like taking i was like i guess i'll take my science class i ended up taking exercise science and really liked the professor and once i learned more a little bit about the field and i was like this is a great fit you know i love fitness i love exercise i love sports this seems you know like I could definitely do this for a living. And, um, you know, from there, just, uh, that I went to uh, Cabrini college for my undergrad and yeah. went to East Strasburg for my master's degree. And, you know, interned at college settings, personal training settings, group settings. Uh, I did like, you know, group fitness. I worked like the front desk as an intern, mm-hmm. checking people in, making smoothies, you know, wiping machines down. Um, you know, so I, learned a lot from those experiences as an undergrad student and really felt that transitioning was like the path for me. And uh, that's why one reason why I went to grad school was like, Hey, I think I want to, you know, I really like the teaching component too. So I was like, Hey, I can be an adjunct professor and like do transitioning. I'm like, this seems like something I can do. And, um, you know, getting into the research during grad school was, was fun. And, um, you know, after that, I, you know, while I was at East Stroudsburg, I worked with baseball and softball. That's when yep. I did my research and, yep. um, my internship was at Cressy performance, which is like a baseball performance place. They have two mm-hmm. locations now, one in Boston, one in Florida. Um, so they were you know, tremendous mentors to me and learned a lot there. Um, and then came back home and worked as like a part-time college strength coach, part-time somewhere yep. else at like an ice <laughs> rink. You know, trying to get trying to get started in the field of strength conditioning is extremely difficult. It's an absolute um, grind. It's, yeah. <laughs> it's very tough. Um, you have to work in jobs you don't want to do and kind of get lucky with your network and know someone. Get you know, and that's how, how I got started at MSI was um, from my connections with Cressy to the ownership yeah. there, and um, you know, worked at MSI for seven years, and that we're now a San athlete um, mm-hmm. as of a year and a half ago. So, you know, we service a lot of, um, you know, baseball players from yep. youth to professional. Um, we work with a couple other athletes, a lot of volleyball players since they're overhead athletes. I see a lot mm-hmm. of volleyball players. Um, and now I'm also getting into some figure skating. So I'm wow. seeing some figure skating athletes as well, some ex-Olympians and some, you know, uh, junior world you know, champions. So getting with some like high level skaters has been, has been fun recently. And, you know, I work with the, uh, you know, the here and there football athlete, basketball mm-hmm. athlete, soccer athlete, um, 
but obviously like our primary focus is, is going to be, it's going to be baseball. And for sure. Um, yeah. You know, so that's kind of where I'm at right now. And obviously do some teaching and some fitness consulting, which is, which is fun. Just, you know, keeps yeah. me, keeps my mind moving. Keeps yeah. Fresh. And, and, you know, paying back to the profession too. I mean, I, we met mm-hmm. at a, at an NSEA conference. Right. And, mm-hmm. and so it's, it's a mm-hmm. lot of like continuing education and lifting up the profession too, oh. which I appreciate. And, and back yeah. to kind of what you were saying about like working with a wide range, I, I find, I mean, whether it's like sports medicine or, you know, strength and conditioning or whatever it is, like somebody may have like a specific niche population, but they also take a lot of the same approach to figuring out that information and apply it to so many different other types of people. And so I think, kind of transitioning into it. We talked a little bit about some of the people that you're working with, like what, what age groups are you most commonly working with right now? So right now, well, in the summertime specifically, we'll see, you know, 12, 13, 14 year olds to high school and to college players, obviously mm-hmm. like professional baseball is being played right now. Yeah, in season. Um, so <laughs> those guys won't, won't come back till you know, October ish, September timeframe. Um, so this is very like kind of seasonal training where we'll have like summer, fall, winter, spring. Um, and then depending on the season, it will depend on what type of athletes we're, we're training and, and seeing more of and, or, or, or less of, yeah. but the, the, the summertime is a very popular time for like high school, college players to really get in training while they're doing travel ball on the weekends or summer leagues for college players. So that's kind of the population that, that we're seeing now. And, you know, we're serving upwards. I think we have like 120 clients right now. Yeah. So we're seeing lots of people in on a day-to-day basis, uh, which keeps it fun and, and exciting. Yeah. Well, okay. So I know we talked about it a little bit before we started recording, but I think one of the reasons I was super excited to have you on is just because I think that the process that you take for evaluation and like onboarding of a client is extremely unique. And I say that like coming from, like, for example, like when you work in sports medicine, like before you're allowed to do anything, you have to do an examination and pick up information. But the way that people approach that is vastly different. And Mm -hmm. the type of information they pick up drives their approach going through working with somebody. And I've gotten to see some of the stuff that you're doing. Um, I'm familiar with some of the stuff uh, from like some of the mentors that you've had, but can you tell me a little bit about like, like, what is it like, what does an evaluation look like? What kind of information yeah. are you looking? And, and I mean, if it's not too much, like how does that change based on the, the age or level of experience yeah. of the person that you're working with? Yeah. Great question. Um, evaluations and assessment are a, yeah, I guess you can say passion of mine. That's actually the, the class I teach at Cabrini is like, you know, um, assessment and program designing. So, you know, assessments are, I think a very important piece to, developing a exercise routine for someone. Mm-hmm. Um, and to me, it all starts with, you know, like when they first come in, obviously like I'm in the private sector. So people like are paying to come in and, and train and see me and see my team and, and you know, the people around me. Um, but this is pretty much what it looks like. Like we'll come in, we'll sit down with them, whether it's a younger kid, they come in with the parent or they come in by themselves if they're a little older. Um, and we just like kind of chat. And, you know, this is start, this is like starts the rapport building for me mm-hmm. um, where, you know, the, the, the athlete needs to understand that like I'm on their team and I'm in their corner to help them reach their goals. And that's a major piece for me is that first sit down. It's like, Hey man, like, tell me about yourself. And the evaluation mm-hmm. for me and the initial sit down is like, talk less, listen more. And yeah. that's where I want to like learn as much as I can about them. I'll say if they need help with, you know, they don't, they don't, they're not very chatty. Then I'll ask questions, <laughs> yeah. but I just want to hear them talk and tell me about themselves and they open up and we kind of go from there. Um, we'll learn about their injury history, their medical history, what sports they play, what positions they play, you know, um, what their sports schedule is like, you know, how, if they play travel ball, if they don't lesion ball, um, you know, how many days a week they're practicing, um, what they've done for exercise. So like, you know, what's your exercise experience? Have you just like gone downstairs and done push-ups and pull-ups with that? Or have you gone and done transitioning training at another place or at your school or with mm-hmm. a buddy, you know, so I really want to learn about their exercise experience. Um, and then from there, uh, you know, we'll get up and we'll start our, our physical assessment. Yeah. So the first part is I'll do the functional movement screen which just gives me a global sense of like how they're moving, 
how they're controlling the range of motion that they have. And, you know, I can get a good gauge as to where to start them on some squatting and deadlifting and lunging patterns, push-up patterns, um, which are, you know, primary movers of our strength program. Mm -hmm. um, after the FMS, I'll perform some passive range of motion testing. So we'll put them on the table. We'll do like hip IR, ER, hip AB duction. We'll do an adduction drop test. Mm -hmm. We'll perform um, hip flexion, um, you know, ankle dorsiflexion tests. Um, you know, we'll move to the upper body. And obviously, like, we're seeing lots of baseball players. So, you know, we get a little bit more specific with, like, our rib cage and our arm and our scapula here. Oh, yeah. But yeah. we'll look at, you know, shoulder flexion, shoulder IR, shoulder ER, shoulder adduction, abduction. We'll look at like infrasternal angle, which gives us shapes of the cage. Look at how they're breathing, where mm -hmm. air is moving. Um, you know, looking, looking at all that stuff. Um, yeah. It's just like paints a picture for me as to like where their rib cage is, where their scapula is, and you know how their arm is going to function uh, when they need to throw a baseball repeatedly at high levels as hard as they can. Yeah. So um, just to kind of stop you there, because I think yeah. I think obviously, like you know. I think there's the majority of, of, you know, people involved in sports performance and strength and conditioning have some sort of like movement evaluation where they're, they're looking and assessing and kind of understanding quality of movement. Right. I think where mm -hmm. you kind of go a step above and beyond is, is looking at so many underlying factors, but also synthesizing that information into understanding mm -hmm. how they throw and also preventing, you know, potential injuries in that manner. And so like when you're approaching, for example, mm -hmm. somebody who's, um, you know, kind of like that age range from like end of middle school to like early high school through college, for example, if they start training with you, what are the types mm -hmm. of, uh, things that you're watching out for? Uh, like things that like, I guess things that might kind of increase the risk for potential injury or, or some of like mm -hmm. the lowest hanging fruit in terms of things that you're yeah. kind of looking to spot through the, that assessment. Yeah, great question. Um, I would say my biggest like red flags that I'm looking for in the shoulders would be in really no particular order, shoulder flexion, internal rotation, and external rotation. Mm -hmm. Those would be my three big ones. Um, you know, if you don't have internal rotation, uh, you're going to compensate at different times during the throwing motion, right? You're going to compensate at like when you take the ball out of the glove, when you bring the arm up overhead, that's it. You, your arm goes through internal rotation there. So that could affect arm path, whether you're on time or late or stabby or long, or if you get a more spiral arm path is kind of what we, what we want to see. Mm -hmm. um, the other time that internal rotation could affect the, the throw is that ball release. So when you let go of the baseball, right, your arm has to internally rotate to, you know, slow down your arm effectively. Mm -hmm. So if you don't have internal rotation at that spot, you're going to see the humerus glide up in the socket. You're going to see the scapula anteriorly tilt, um, you know, all sorts of, all sorts of problems could arise from that as well. Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, those, that's, you know, that internal rotation piece is, is huge. Um, and then external rotation, obviously like, you know, to throw hard, you need to have external rotation. You need to have layback. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, we've had a lot of throwers that come in and they're like, yeah, my velocity is just like not where it needs to be. And we test their external rotation and it's like 85, 90 degrees passively. And, you know, good throwers at high levels are, you know, upwards of, of 100, 110, 120 range. And, yeah. you know, they might be on more of the looser side, but, you know, the looser external rotation allows them to lay back effectively and, and spend lots of time in that layback phase, which allows them to create that whippy effect when they let go of the baseball. Right. So that's where that external rotation piece is, is, is vital. Um, you yeah. Know, and, so and, quick question yeah. just about, you know, kind of internal and external rotation. Cause I know, especially when you're evaluating like a thrower shoulder, I mean, context in terms of like time of year and how much they've been throwing can change their overall yeah. range of motion. But then there's also this whole conversation about, um, uh, GERD or like glenohumeral internal mm -hmm. rotation deficit and being able yep. to accurately assess external and internal rotation. And so I, I guess just to preface it, it's like, there's, there's this window that shifts in terms of range of motion. So a shoulder has like a certain amount of range of motion from internal to external and vice versa as like a thrower, they develop a little bit more of like a retroversion in the shoulder, which creates an opportunity to have more external rotation. 
So when it comes to, for example, like measuring internal rotation and finding whether there's a deficit with that kind of like retroversion in the, mm-hmm. the glenohumeral joint, like how do you assess to make sure that like, like what you're seeing as a limitation is a limitation? And then what are some mm-hmm. of the underlying factors that you think limits internal rotation there? Yeah. So when it comes to the, the like shift of the arc, I want to see the, the right IR plus ER to be the, to be the same as the left arm. Okay. So if my, my right internal rotation is 50 and my external rotation is 100, my total motion on my right side is 150, mm-hmm. right? And if my left arm is, you know, whatever, 70 IR, but 80 or 90 ER, my total motion is within 10, 15 degrees, even though the arc is different. And that's kind of what we, what we want to look for in throwers. And some of that is, is based on some research by uh, Mike Reinald. Yep. who talks a lot about like total motion. Um, and I, I think that's like very spot on, especially if you work with throwers all day long. Um, and I think that's one thing that, that I like to use and looking at and recognizing that like, you know, most throwers are going to be limited in internal rotation. It's like mm-hmm. something that you should see. It's like kind of expected. Um, you know, like I'll have throwers that come in with zero degrees of internal rotation. Yeah. <laughs> like none, but he throws 92 and never had an arm problem Yeah, and is going to a D one school. So it's like, <laughs> you know, something that you have to keep an eye on, but right. Right. Yeah. Take, I'm not surprised when I see something like that. Right. It's like, it's like, you know, take, take your assessments and like, take that information, but put it in context. Like it, if, if everything looks good, you know, you, you don't necessarily have to go and try to correct and fix everything. Yep. Um, yep. I guess with that said, like, I mean, you're working with a a lot of guys who are throwing really hard and they're throwing harder at younger and younger ages. And it's almost becoming like a, like a higher prerequisite to go and play at those, you know, higher levels, even like going to college. So I guess for the parents that are listening and, Mm -hmm. you know, when you're talking about velocity, when you increase velocity, there's just a lot more stresses on the arm. So what are some things that people should be considering in terms of, um, you know, if, if a kid wants to be able to go and play at a higher level, like, and they have the potential to throw hard, like what are some things that they should be having in their mindset as they approach that? Yeah. I think if you want to play baseball at a high level, um, you know, varsity or college or pro, um, it's a sport where you have to hit training. You have to like start training earlier than you might think you need to start. Yeah. I'm not saying you start training at nine years old, but, you know, when you're 13 or 14 years old and, you know, you really enjoy playing baseball and want to be really good, you know, that's a great age to learn how to rotate fast, be explosive. Mm-hmm. Um, and these are all things that are gained in like the baseball training uh, that we offer that, you know, I, I'm, I'm, I'm very heavily involved in. Um, so my first piece would be like, start you know, as a freshman in high school or as an eighth mm-hmm. grader, and that's a great like introductory age to start a structured, you know, exercise program and a baseball training program. Um, my second, my second thing is just like, make sure your boxes are checked. And you know, what I mean by boxes yeah. is like, make sure you have a good structured throwing program, you know, make sure you have a good structured strength and conditioning program, make sure you have a good structured hitting program and make sure you have good coaches in your corner that are understanding not to push you too much or, Hey, go play eight games a weekend and blow out your arm. Like, right. No, or that's not what this is. Like, it's not what this is. Or, right. Yeah. Exactly. You know, like we're big on development and like, if you're not good enough for a showcase, like don't go do a showcase. You have yeah. nothing to give no skill to showcase. Yeah. You know, that's yeah. where you have to spend time training and getting better at, at your skills and throwing harder and hitting the ball further and, and looking the part, if you're not in physical shape, you know, that's one thing coaches look at. It's like, Oh, he doesn't look like a D one baseball player. Mm-hmm. You know, he looks like a D three player because he's five ten and a, a buck 65. Yeah. <laughs> you know, so you have to look the part as well and make sure your nutrition and your sleep and all these extra, extra boxes that, you know, you can control have to be controlled. Yeah. You know, Absolutely. control the controllables. Like, yeah, you can't control whether a coach is going to like you, but what you can control is your training and your ability to develop. And 
that put that takes time and that takes effort and that takes work. Unfortunately, like there's only a select few that roll out of bed and throw 90 miles an hour. You know, <laughs> most people need to need to work to throw 90 miles an hour, you yeah. know, and some of us never, um, <laughs> yeah, and some of us might not, you know, it's very yeah. hard to do that. And, you know, some are, some are gifted with like loose joints and like very lippy yeah. and very explosive athletes. Um, but if you're not, you know, training to get better at the skill, you're not going to get better at playing baseball. And that's where yeah. like, we can have a discussion about like multi-sport athletes. Yeah, for sure. Like I like multi-sport athletes Yeah, to a point, because if it takes away from your time to develop the baseball skill, then you're not going to be a good baseball player. You're just going to be a good athlete. Yeah. And that sometimes can translate. Sometimes it's not going to translate because you waited till your junior year to stop playing basketball in the winter. Mm-hmm. You know what but, I mean? And, so this, and, is, this is actually, it's, it's an interesting topic because I think it's something that is difficult to navigate because it's situation to situation. And like, you know, I, I've so. talked to parents about it and I, I work as, you know, like a, a chiropractor. So I try to, you know, utilize the people within my network to kind of have those conversations with them. But eventually it ends up coming to me too, because it's parents who are talking about their kids to make sure that they can, you know, get in the right, yep. I guess, have the right resources and, and be able to make the right decisions. So yep. when it comes to multi-sport athletes uh, that decide or yeah, they, they decide that they want to be able to kind of pursue one individual sport, but mm-hmm. then there's that concern of overloading too much or, or not mm-hmm. having that, like, uh, I guess like wide ranging stimulus of, of physical activity. And so they're, you kind of run the risk of repetitive stress injuries and stuff. How do you help somebody to navigate that when there's a lot of factors at play? There's, um, the amount of time commitment, there's, um, risk of injury and then managing like, you know, uh, the, the actual programs and and training processes. And then there's also like, you know, committing to one thing, unless you're like absolutely in love with it, like might get kind of boring. And so navigating away from like, you know, some of the other sports or activities that you might enjoy to focus more time on, like, how do you help parents navigate that decision? Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, first of all, it's a very tough decision. And I've had this conversation with multiple athletes and parents um, at all different levels as freshmen, juniors, sophomores, juniors um, in high school. And, you know, I always say, look, like, you know, if you like playing other sports, you know, like play other sports, just know the downsides or the cons that come with that. Um, and I'm, I'm big like pros and cons. It's like, okay, what do we get out of doing basketball or football, basketball, and then playing baseball? Mm-hmm. What are the pros out of not doing football and basketball and just training, mm-hmm. you know? Um, so th- there comes a point in time where it's like, hey, you're already pretty athletic. You're already pretty fast. You can already pretty jump high. You just don't throw hard enough. Mm-hmm. So you should probably work on throwing harder and you're not going to throw harder by playing football. Right. So I, I, you know, it depends on the athlete and where they're at. It's like, Hey, if you're average at everything and not good at something, then that's not good. We need to be good at something. Mm-hmm. How do you be good at something? Spend more time doing that something, whether yeah. it's being faster, getting stronger, throwing harder, you have to practice the skill of those things. Yeah. And if you just be a generalist and be good at a lot of different things, like, you know, Hey, I'm the starting point guard on basketball and, you know, I'm a, you know, outside linebacker and I'm pretty good, but I'm not really, really good, but I'm pretty good. You know, I'm five, five, 11, you know, I'm decently sized. It's like, all right. But like, you know, you throw 82 and you you won't hit the ball 85. It's like, that's not going to get you to the level that you want to get to. Right. And so, so there's, there's some each athlete's going to be different. different. Yeah. 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 So I guess kind of taking a step back when we talk about um, training for a lot of these people, because like there's, there's a lot of crossover when it comes to like strength training, like there's the, the base, the foundation, especially for like some of the younger kids of like just developing strength can be, I mean, I, I don't want to say simple because it's not simple. It takes a lot of work, but there's a lot of like similarities between that style of training and general strength and conditioning. But then there's the nuances to approaching training overhead athletes. And so can you tell me a little bit about like the balance of that, like foundational strength and like, you know, getting yeah. them to a place where their bodies can, can perform at a high level, but taking yeah. into consideration some of the things specifically to overhead populations. Yeah, no, this is good because I don't think most people really understand the demands of a baseball player Yeah, and they just kind of lump them in with like, oh yeah, like 
you can train them like football and basketball and mm-hmm. we can, they can, all those athletes can do all the same exercises. Yes. And no, you know, definitely depends on the age of the athlete, you know, what their training age is like and what their baseball level and skill is, you know, if you have a 14 year old that's never worked out before and one plays football and one plays baseball. Yeah. Like they could probably do the same strength program and they could probably get better. Mm-hmm. Likewise, if you have a 21 year old professional baseball player, at double a, and you have an AFL football player, it's like, yeah, they're probably not going to do the same strength program. Right. So it really depends on the level, the higher the level you get, the more specialized the strength conditioning program needs to be because they are going to have a very specific goal or a very low or maybe a low hanging fruit that isn't just strength or speed or agility. Mm -hmm. You know, their low hanging fruit is, you know, um, lacking of hip internal rotation or Mm -hmm. lacking hip and shoulder separation when they are pitching down the mound. Um, you know, so it's very specific thing. And, you know, that's the strength conditioning coach's job to get to improve in those qualities, um, as well as the other easy, I call them easy qualities. Cause it's like, just lift weights, get strong, mm-hmm. you know, like strength and power and all the other fun, sexy stuff. But that's where that difference really comes into play. And having to balance those things is very important. I want to share a quick story yeah, of an athlete that, um, I just evaled, um, you know, not to give too much info about him. Long story short, he was throwing really hard, had a drop in velo, like six miles an hour, no injury mm-hmm. and has sustained the drop in velo for almost a year. And he came in and we evaled and he had some range of motion deficits and, you know, I asked him like, Hey, what are your strength numbers on squat and bench? And he, he does cleans mm-hmm. and he's like, Oh yeah, I deadlift, you know, 475 and I front squat, you know, 335 and I hang clean, you know, 275. I'm like, all right. I'm like doing those exercises and pushing strength for him maybe helped him throw hard, mm-hmm. but now he's having diminishing returns by continuing to chase strength. Right. Because he's losing other qualities that he needs to have as a baseball player, especially a high level baseball player, mm-hmm. um, such as range of motion or power. You know, he's, a, he's, he's acquired stiffness in certain areas where he doesn't move his hips. Well, he doesn't rotate. Well, his cage is very stiff and you, know, you want to throw a baseball pretty hard and hit a baseball pretty hard. You got to rotate fast. And yeah, you know, this man has, has lost that because he's chased strength too much. Right. So, I, and I think that's a, that's a really good point too. Cause I think that, uh, yeah, the, the simple mindset is that more strength equals, you know, uh, better performance, right? If I just get stronger, right. I get faster, better, right. whatever. But right. there is like a, a certain kind of spectrum that uh, like human, like <laughs> tissue can, can shift on. Right. And, and yep. part of that is like, there's a certain amount of stiffness that's fantastic. And then there's a certain amount of stiffness that just loses that elasticity that develops power. And so being able to kind of find that and be able to kind of have some metrics like velocity that you can then correlate to some of their strength numbers to say like, are we, yeah, are we chasing too much? And that I think is a fantastic example of why having somebody who understands the necessities or like the demands of a sport and the movements is important to have on your team so that they can help to kind of drive those factors moving through the program and address them mm-hmm. so that you don't have those consistent, like, or long-term drops in, uh, in velocity. Um, when it comes to working specifically, like, like, for example, um, working with, with overhead athletes in general, like strength exercises for, I mean, you know, like lower body and whatnot are, are pretty consistent, but when it comes to like training upper body and like different considerations for exercise selection for like shoulder specific stuff or overhead pressing Mm -hmm. or, you know, Mm -hmm. horizontal pressing, pulling, like how does that stuff change? Is there anything that you try to emphasize? Is there anything you try to stay away from? Yeah, no, great question. Um, I think this is where, again, like the baseball specialist kind of comes into play. Um, You know, so I guess we'll chat about like arm care first Mm -hmm. um, before we get into some of the general movements, like arm care, needs to be in your strength conditioning program like that's where it needs to be that's something that baseball players need to have like they need to have a quote-unquote strong 
you know, rotator cuff, serratus, all the mm -hmm. muscles around the shoulder, you know, need to be able to do their job because the sport demands it. You know, just like in football, you've got to be fast. So you got to train speed. Mm -hmm. In baseball, you got to have a strong, healthy, mobile shoulder. Yeah. That's what the sport demands. So that needs to be trained. Mm -hmm. And those are qualities that are, you know, tested in the assessment. And then you have to train them in the, in the gym. And, you know, just to give some basic exercises that are really easy for most people to do, like we're all probably familiar with kettlebells, yep. you know, just turn it upside down, kettlebell bombs up carry and you just walk with it. You hold it at 90 degrees of shoulder flexion and you're going to feel the rotator cuff working pretty good. Right. So there's lots of ways where you can train the, the rotator cuff that are, you know, quote unquote, non-traditional besides just like, external rotation with your arms at the sides or some bands or anything like that. Now those are okay exercises to use, but there's lots of other ways where we can train the shoulder as a, as a high performance shoulder, if you will. Mm -hmm. um, so that's one thing that you have to be able to add into your strength conditioning program and just doing like prone Y's and T's and some bandy R's like, is it enough? Mm -hmm. right? um, the second piece is like, what exercises do we modify if we're seeing an overhead athlete is a great question. Um, you know, we'll start with the pressing activities. And, and if you think about what a baseball player does when they throw a baseball, mm -hmm. one side of their body is doing one thing while the other side is doing the complete opposite. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So when you th think about that and you know, that's what the sport is um, you would probably want to train those things in the gym in addition to bilateral movements. Mm -hmm. So we'll start with just like the concept of bilateral training and single arm or single leg training. Like you definitely have to do both, right? Um, there's benefits of doing bilateral. There's benefits of doing single arm, single leg, whatever it might be. Um, you know, for example, like if someone's like generally weak, yeah, like doing bilateral training, like a horizontal row, TRX row, chest quarter row, seated cable row, like great exercise, right? Mm -hmm. Um, when you do a standing split stance, one arm cable row with a reach, you are still developing strength. You're also incorporating a reach, which is going to help teach trunk rotation. Right. So now we're turning our rib cage, right? We're bringing the arm through internal and external rotation, which is what happens when they throw baseball. We're in a split stance, which is a common stance that throwers and hitters are in all the time right? One leg is in hip extension and one leg is in hip flexion. We can add in like more, we can shift our hips to increase hip internal rotation. So there's lots of ways where we can like really like quote unquote, get sports specific with a split stance, one arm cable row where yeah. we don't really get any of those qualities in a seated cable row. Mm -hmm. So to sum that up, like definitely do both like strength bilateral stuff and then make sure we're doing lots of single arm, you know, rowing, same thing with pressing. When it comes to pressing, you know, make sure we're doing lots of single arm pressing in addition to, you know, bilateral pressing, mm -hmm. right? I use a lot of landmine pressing variations, lots of one arm dumbbell pressing variations, lots of push up variations. Okay. Mm -hmm. uh, don't utilize a ton of like straight barbell variations. Um, you know, just found that in my experience, in my opinion, the uh, positions that the body is in when they do a barbell bench press aren't positions that I want to have my athletes in mm -hmm. it's, it's too when much they are time. playing. Yeah, yeah. When they're playing baseball. Yeah. Um, the positions that I don't love in the barbell bench press is like max rib cage extension. Yeah. Scapular depression and retraction along with like bringing the arms down to the bar, down to the chest, which mm -hmm. could lead to like, some humeral gliding through the shoulder. Right. Um, you know, when you throw a baseball, you need the complete opposites of all of those things that I just named. Yeah. <laughs> Upward rotation, protraction, you know, and not the arm and humerus dumping forward. Right. The, so, the anterior glide type. Yeah. The anterior gliding. Yeah. yeah. So it's like, you know, what are the pros of the barbell bench press? You get strong, yeah. like great <laughs> exercise for strength. But the cons of it, in my opinion, aren't really worth it for the population that we're seeing specifically the older population. Right. Yeah. The high school, the high level, high school, college pro guys, like, again, they don't need to be good at doing barbell bench press. Right. The strength they need is to be already good at there. Throwing a baseball. Yeah. Right. Correct. Yeah. Correct. Yeah. 
So in a younger athlete, yeah, you can do some dumbbell pressing. You can do some like, sometimes I'll mix it like a Swiss bar, which is just a little more neutral grip and don't mm-hmm. over cue a big puffy chest. Yeah. You know, um, so it's just pros and cons with like choosing a lot of exercises when it comes to working with baseball players. For sure. But that's why, like, I much prefer a landmine press because you one still develop pressing strength, mm-hmm. but you also get upward rotation and through the scapula, you get scapular protraction and your rib cage isn't extended. Mm-hmm. Right. One downside of the cage extension for baseball is extension is going to limit your ability to rotate. I was okay. So I was going to get into this because I think this is one of those things. I think a lot of people, um, I mean, honestly, I, I feel like I, I probably learned a lot of this just from Cressy and, and some of his courses, just talking about like shoulder mechanics and things like that in terms yep. of, you know, the, the relationship between the scapula and the humerus and um, how it's supposed to move retraction, protraction, you know, the whole thing, upward mm-hmm. rotation. But I think that it isn't as common to understand the mechanics of the rib cage and how that influences the scapula and the humerus, right. And the positions that they're mm-hmm. in. And so you, yeah. you started to talk a little bit about it in terms of like a flared or drawn down or like, you know, kind of like rib cage down or what yeah. we call like, yeah, you know, like sternum to hips or sternum to yeah. belly button type position. Can yeah. you talk a little bit about some of the things that you're looking for on, on that like yeah. level? And then also um, how much you are like particular to coaching that at what age range, if that yeah. makes sense, no, great like question. how picky you are based on the experience yeah. level. Yeah. 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 So let me answer that last part first. Yeah. Like I'm not doing breathing or rib cage mechanic stuff with like a kid that like can't do push-ups or right. like can't hinge. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Like, you know, so I'm gonna just throw a general age out there, like 15 and up, we're doing some like rib cage work and making cool. sure we yeah. can move our rib cage, right? Um, but like this is what we want to see with a with a rib cage and scapula and, and air. And um pretty much we need to see our rib cage we need to see it stacked on top of our pelvis mm-hmm. um, picture like two dolls that like turn and rotate they're like, I forget what they're called. The Russian dolls that like turn, <laughs> Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> you know, that where they're both on top of each other, the top and the bottom, that's our rib cage. And that's our, that's our pelvis. And we need those things to be on top of each other at most times for most activities, right? When you go and play your sport, you're not going to think about any of that stuff, mm-hmm. you know? So you're going to extend, you're going, you're going to see extension in, in, in sport. We just need to manage that in our training and not do too much of it. You know, that could lead to some lower back tightness. Uh, again, it could definitely limit rotation. If all your training is just driving extension and, you know, puff your chest out and arch your lower back. Um, again, that's, that's advantageous to getting mm-hmm. strong. That's good for powerlifting. That's good for deadlifting. That's good for squatting. That's good for benching but it's not good when you need to rotate. Right. Because your back is going to be quote unquote on, or your extensors are going to be concentrically flexed. They're going to be yeah. on. Right. Yeah. You get a lot of facet irritation that way too. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, so, you know, when you're really working with baseball and they need to rotate, your strength conditioning program should definitely consider that. And, you know, um, what you want to see when someone breathes is how we kind of coach it and look at it. Um, you want to see when someone inhales through the nose, when see certain parts of the body or certain parts of the rib cage move or quote unquote expand mm-hmm. when someone inhales and when they exhale, you want to see the rib cage drop down. Mm-hmm. And then when they re-inhale, you want to see certain areas expand and, you know, you kind of go from there and there's different positions. You can put the arms in the legs in where you can really gain some in, increase in range of motion mm-hmm. um, where you can you know make the athlete feel better mm-hmm. by providing them a you know quote unquote like breathing exercise or technique mm-hmm. to put the body in to see increases in range of motion mm-hmm. so that's where we'll utilize a lot of breathing techniques or rib cage uh techniques is like through the warm-up or throughout the exercise program to you know not only see like increase the range of motion but just like see the rib cage expand in different areas that they're not used to expanding in which is going to mm-hmm. lead to a better functioning scapula arm and, and overall shoulder health because the rib cage is the foundation of the scapula and the arm. Right. So if you're not doing any like rib cage work or breathing work, you know, there's definitely some things that, that could be missing. Um, right. You know, even if you're doing like core exercises, but you're not utilizing just inhales and exhales and they're just like doing dead bugs with their lower back, either arched or they're <laughs> not utilizing breath. 
when you do a dead bug or a pal off press or a chop and a lift, right. you know, or planks, whatever quarter exercise you're doing, um, you know, then the rib cage is going to learn to be quote unquote stable in, a, in an extended position. Mm-hmm. And that's not what we want, especially when you play baseball. Right. So, you know, there's lots of ways we can like teach that and progress that, um, you know, it's first starting with like the warm up mm-hmm. and then adding layers of difficulty to it, you know, in the exercise program. So it's a very complex idea, kind of hard to explain. It's very um, difficult, especially without like you know, graphic representation, but I yes. think, I guess to, to kind of like sum it up in terms of, I mean, okay. So like, like, for example, when we approach a lot of care for our low back patients, the first thing that we do is, is we look at, I mean, like diaphragmatic breathing, but their ability to kind of like increase pressure and like become stable, right. Their ability for their core to become stable. And yep. so I guess as it relates to the shoulder, um, and tell me if I'm wrong, but a lot of it is like, like you try to work from the center out. And so if the core is set, right, then you move up to how the rib cage is functioning and you want to make sure that the rib cage can expand in certain places or move yep. and kind of like incorporate a, a solid base in certain places so that the scapula, as it wraps around the rib cage or, you know, rotates through can do its job so that the shoulder can do its job. Right. And so, and so taking it closer and closer back to the center where it's like, you know, if somebody has an issue with the shoulder, look at the way that they're bracing, look at their rib cage, right. And, and being able to evaluate the rib cage function by watching the way that they breathe can be really, really helpful in terms of providing information. Um, that's awesome. I, I remember I asked you like a quick question about it, like right after a talk at, at the conference, but it was not mm-hmm. the time to expand on it. So I've been waiting to yeah. ask you about that. And I appreciate you. <laughs> yeah. One, um, one other quick analogy real yeah. quick for the rib cage and scapula. It's like familiar, like scapular winging, yeah. you know, everyone blames the scapula. It's like, Oh, you're, you have scapular winging, like you have weak or messed up yeah. trap muscles or lower trap muscles. And in, in reality, you know, if you picture like a rib cage, it's supposed to be like slightly curved up between the shoulder blades and you have a scapula that's also supposed to sit on that, on that rib cage. But if your rib cage is really extended yeah. and quote unquote flat mm-hmm. where the scapula is winging and just doing lower trap exercises to bring the scapula that's winging to the rib cage is like very difficult to do. Usually doesn't work. <laughs> So you have to bring the rib cage back to the scapula and that's where getting that expansion that we were talking about earlier um, of the rib cage in certain areas of the body um, can be very, very successful at, you know, not only improving scapular wing, but just improving shoulder health. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. I guess as like an analogy and tell me this is a bad one, but if it's like, you know, the table is like kind of shifting or offset. It, maybe it's not the table. Maybe it's the, the floor is a little funky. <laughs> right. No, yeah. yeah, correct. Yeah. I, I guess I only say that too, because we have some, uh, <laughs> some funky floors here too. But um, so I guess kind of taking it back to some of the, uh, so we talked a little bit about like throwing program. We talked about like, you know, shoulder health and shoulder routine, arm care routines, and some of the uh-huh. things to consider with that. When it comes to throwing programs, and I'm curious to ask, because I, I actually haven't looked into this in a little while. Um, yeah. Last time that I was looking into it, I know weighted ball programs, for example, were mm-hmm. pretty popular. And I know that yeah. it can be, and I use that as, a, as an example, because it's like, yeah. it's it can be a really helpful tool. And sometimes it's really trendy to kind of hop on these things because they can oh. they can be really impactful in terms of gaining velocity and range of motion and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. But whenever you find something like that, it's important to implement it properly. Are there things right now that you're seeing in terms of trends? It could be weighted ball programs or something else, but trends that are picking up that um, people should kind of exercise some caution or, or kind of reach out to somebody to make sure that they're doing things properly if they're chasing that type of competitive advantage. Yeah, I mean, the weighted ball topic is is a is a great one because you know they were popular in the '80s a yeah. little bit. Nolan Ryan was doing it, you know, Tom House. And yeah. then, like, the 90s, they kind of went away, and then they kind of came back. You know, drivelines very popularized them. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and I think we ran – a lot of people ran into some issues when, like, driveline was having lots of success, and it's like, oh, just do weighted balls. Right. Like throw yeah. balls into a wall, and that's all you got to do. You know, plyo care balls are like these soft, squishy balls that they just like throw into a wall. And you, know, you see a lot of baseball players warming up in bullpens or, you know, whatever it is, um, you know, and then I think like 
coaches really learned how to like do them properly. Mm-hmm. And I would just caution that, like, you know, if you're going to do weighted balls, like obviously make sure you're with a, a qualified coach that is trained in them and knows how to program appropriately. And you know, we have athletes that like, you know, like don't utilize weighted balls and that's totally okay. Mm-hmm. Um, but there are definitely benefits to doing weighted balls. Um, not only to like help improve mechanics, mm-hmm. um, but also to help improve velocity. Um, and then, you know, sometimes they can benefit to help improve location. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, if you get used to throwing a lot of different implements at a, you know, whatever, a square area catch net, you know, and then you go back to throwing a five ounce ball. It's like very easier to, to throw the five ounce ball in the catch net because you've gotten used to throwing a football or a, you know, eight ounce ball, a three ounce ball, four ounce ball, um, into one area. So your, your skill, your motor skill is a lot easier to throw strikes, if you will. So gotcha. I think there's a lot of benefits. I would just recommend that they're with a qualified pitching coach to be able to do it properly. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, baseball and fitness are loaded with trends. Like, you know, there's lots of things out there in fitness, you know, that, uh, not that like caution, but you, know, you just have to like make sure it makes sense. You know, I yeah. think we're right now, I don't know. You're seeing, like, I'm seeing a lot of like water bag training. It's like, yeah. okay. Like what does that do? Like, are we improving any fitness qualities with that? Like, yeah. You know, does the biomechanics make sense? Does the physiology make sense? Like, you know, if we're doing an exercise, like can we track it? Are we getting better at it? How do we right. know we're getting better at it? And and you, know, you just have to be that. a scientist and just ask questions. Yeah. Yeah. And, and like, like asking yourself, it's like, it, it may be, you know, fun and different and unique, but is substituting that for something else more beneficial, Correct. right? Then um, so, so on the topic of like, like training focuses right now. So we're, we're recording on a Wednesday, this will come out on Friday and, and it's yep. kids pretty much just got out for summer earlier. month right what are some of the things that you know obviously the the pros are in season right now but a lot of other people are in the off season and they're headed into travel ball then fall ball and all that kind of stuff what are some of the focuses that you take for the players that you're working with right now who are in the off season but looking to kind of get better no yeah great question so let's just we'll throw out the high school athlete right now like they train a lot in the off season. So the transitioning is like five, six days a week from, you know, just call it November to February. Right. And then from March to just say June 1st, they play lots of baseball, 25, 30 games and, you know, call it whatever, March, April, May, you know, three, three months. Um, so they're playing baseball five, six days a week for three months. That doesn't leave a lot of time for transitioning. Mm-hmm. once or twice a week if that right um so when they're done their high school season they have more time and their baseball is less mm-hmm. so they're able to increase their transitioning days to three to four days a week something like that most high school players are usually either not playing any baseball or playing baseball on the weekends mm-hmm. with like one or two practices a week so their summer workout schedule is about increasing their days because they lost a lot of fitness qualities through the season. Mm-hmm. Hopefully they maintained them. <laughs> yeah. Fingers crossed. Most <laughs> lost it. You know, most baseball players come in, they, they lost a lot of weight. They lost a lot of strength. They lost a lot of power. They lost a lot of range of motion. Research shows when you throw baseball, you lose internal rotation, you lose flexion, you know, so you have to do get, you know, do exercises to get that range of motion back. Um, you know, make sure your tissues are feeling good. So like, a lot of guys will do lots of massage, cupping, Theraguns, you know, foam rollers, you know, a lot of feel-good stuff um, throughout the summer as they're like kind of playing in the middle of their season, if you will. Mm-hmm. Um, so I would say we're focusing on a lot of those things, strength and power and speed and maintaining those qualities um, throughout the summer and then through the fall. And then those guys kind of take a week or two and then we you know, ramp back up for the winter. Mm-hmm. Gotcha. That makes sense. And I'm, I'm curious too, not to like totally switch gears, but I know you also work, uh, in conjunction with a lot of like healthcare providers. And I know that yes. some of the folks who listen to the podcast are, you know, sports med providers, whether they're chiropractors or physical therapists or, yep. you know, even other like strength coaches that work in like more interdisciplinary settings. Like what, what kind of role does that play in, um, like working with athletes of all these 
ages? Like, and do you have any recommendations for anybody who is looking to kind of like make those connections and, and kind of start that conversation? Yeah. Yeah, no, I mean, I'm, I'm very um, lucky and love working with healthcare professionals. They are a vital part of an athlete's team. And that's what I try to explain to athletes is like, Hey, like, make sure you have your team of, you know, Cairo PT strength coaches, you know, some even like we'll add some RDs or, you know, sports psych professionals, um, you know, pitching coaches, hitting coaches, yeah. um, athletes are going to have multiple coaches throughout their, their, their careers. Um, you know, you're not going to be like their guy, their entire career for the most part, you know, mm -hmm. they're going to work with their school strength coach or their school's PT or their school's athletic trainer or their pro team strength coach, their pro team's PT, Cairo, whatever it might be. So, you know, just like understanding where you fit in that athlete's life is, is very important and understanding like your lane. Like I don't do chiropractor. I don't do physical therapy. I don't do pitching coach. Yeah. I'm, not, I'm not either of those. I understand a little bit about those. Right. I understand when to refer to those professionals to you know, help that athlete out as much as possible. And at the end of the day, the athlete's going to, like you for that and they're going to appreciate you know if athlete comes in and they have shoulder pain it's like all right you know let's yeah. modify your exercise program but you need to see a healthcare professional mm -hmm. um you know so it's an understanding and like you know if you want to call it like your quarterback role whatever you want to call it just like being able to navigate that athlete through that time and help them i think is a, is a vital part of what the strength coach does that is often you know, kind of overlooked. It's just like, oh, the strength coach, like, yeah, just go lift weights with them and it'll get you strong, you know, yeah. but it's, it's like understanding where that athlete is in their time and having healthcare professionals in your corner is just, you know, a great thing to have and definitely recommend if you are a strength coach or if you are a healthcare professional and you're yeah. like, you're trying to do fitness stuff. It's like, what are you doing? Refer to a fitness professional. <laughs> right. Right. You know what yeah. I mean? So yeah, the, fill, the coin can role. flip. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And I think if you know your role and you work together with those professionals, like good things happen. Athletes love it, you know, and I understand like my limitations and what I can do and, what I, and how I can help people. And, you know, if I can't help someone, you know, I'm going to send them to someone that, that can help. Yeah. Them. When, and you mentioned earlier too, but having like a good understanding, like even if we don't do certain things, understanding what they do just helps to make the conversation so much easier. And that way, I mean, it also makes it clear when, you know, you're able to provide that resource for them and just say, Hey, like, I know a bit about it, but this person knows a lot about it. Go see this person, you know? Right. Um, right. It, it just makes for a seamless transition, which is, which is always yeah. great. It always benefits Absolutely. the person you work with. Right. Um, Absolutely. In that sense, I guess, um, in terms of people who are looking to like, if they have an interest in working with overhead athletes, mm -hmm. are there any specific resources be it like textbooks, uh, courses, yeah. um, events, things like that, that you're, you would recommend them looking into. Yeah. It's, it's a very, like, it's a very niche, um, job and career. Mm -hmm. Um, so honestly, like there's not a, you might find like a book or two, but like, yeah, the best way to go about this is like, go watch or observe what, you know, if you say what I do or what any other, like there's lots of other good, like baseball strength coaches, um, you know, in this area and other areas mm -hmm. that are doing really good things. Um, just go and watch for like a couple hours. And like yeah. most strength coaches that I know are like very open to helping yeah. others and sharing knowledge and no secrets here. Like come on in and watch. Like, you want to watch the email that I do that you talked about earlier, like yeah. come in and watch it. You know, that's the best way to like learn. And, and then that, then you make connections and you don't know, like when that person's hiring and they're like, Oh yeah, I ran into this guy. He came and observed. He was really good. You know? Yeah. Like go hire that person. Um, yeah. So it's good for networking and it's good for gaining knowledge and, you know, transitioning and chiropractor and physical therapy. Like those are all fields that you have to learn by doing yeah. and just like watching videos and like reading books can like help a little bit, but being in person, watching things in person is totally different and totally better. And I would definitely recommend that, um, you know, to help gain knowledge as to how to do baseball strength and conditioning. And, yeah. and don't, and my last bit of advice is like, don't assume that if they are at a big time college or they are at a pro team that they are doing good things. <laughs> yeah. Sometimes it's just, they knew the right people. 
Yes. <laughs> um, I guess on that note, uh, in terms of some of the parents of, of players who are kind of like, like having these aspirations, is there anything in particular that they should look for when searching for a strength and conditioning coach to, that specializes in baseball training or, well, I, I guess I won't say like hitting and pitching because that might be like a separate thing, but like when they're looking at a facility that emphasizes training for baseball and softball players. Yeah. I, honestly, the biggest thing I think is just like results. Yeah. Right. Like, do does x person get results mm -hmm. right um and then a lot of that comes from just like referrals like ask your friend who is good what they do mm -hmm. they might do something cool or good or they might not but worth asking yeah um you know or it's like hey where do you go four times a week after school for two hours yeah <laughs> you know it's like what do you do you spend so much time there like, why aren't you hanging out with me yeah you know so like like talk to your friends and talk to your friend's parents and like, you know, get it, get a referral. And that's how training and yeah. at least I think exercise baseball training is the best way to not only grow business, but also like improve your sons or daughters, you know, performance in whatever sport there is, because especially in training, I'm sure chiropractor is the same. Yeah. Like there's lots of like sketchy people out there that are like doing <laughs> training that like shouldn't be doing training. Yes. Um, you know, so it's like, you gotta, you find someone good, like you're, you're going to drive 35 <laughs> minutes instead of driving five to the guy that's around the corner. Right. You know, so like be willing to make a sacrifice to see someone good is probably like my second thing is like, you know, it's okay to drive 30 minutes, like two, three times a week to see someone good, then, then drive five minutes, two, three times a week and see someone bad. Right. Um, you won't get the results. <laughs> you won't get the results. You know? Yeah. So, Hey, I would love to be within 10 minutes of every person that I train, but yeah, it's sometimes not the case. And, you know, I have kids that are living down the shore all summer and they yeah. drive an hour 15, right. You know, three times a week for the 10, 10, 12 week summertime. And, you know, it's like, they want to do that because they recognize that it's better to do that than to go train at, you know, X gym and they don't want the culture and, and that's a big thing that we preface our success on yeah. here is like our culture. And, you know, you have poor culture and you have, don't have other peers helping one another and getting better. And, you know, your gym is not going to be successful. For sure. Yeah. No, I, I think, I think that's, that's a solid point. I, I think it's also, you know, the characteristics and the habits of the people around you are bound to rub off on you. Right. And so finding a, a group of motivated people who have the same goal as you, it's, I mean, yeah, just Correct. communally, like you're going to do well. <laughs> right. Like if you, I always give this example, like, you know, proximity principle, like surround yourself with others that have your goals in mind. Like yeah. if you want to be a high level baseball player, you should probably go train where high level baseball players train. Yeah. You're not going to go train at Planet Fitness where there's moms trying to lose weight. And there's nothing wrong with that. Right. But like, you're not around people that want to do what you want to do. Right. So surround yourself with others in an area or a specialty, you know, that are doing what you want to do. You know, if you want to go be a, a janitor, like go to a school and hang out with a janitor all day. Right. Whatever it is, like go spend time with the pe people or persons that you want to do. And that at the long run will pay off. For sure. Yeah. Yeah. I, uh, I think, well, I mean, we covered a ton and that's the thing is I, I think I could probably pick your brain on a bunch of things, but I was actually impressed with the number of topics that we covered because I was going in, um, wanting to touch on literally everything that we talked about. So <laughs> I, I sincerely appreciate it. And, and there's definitely some more stuff that we'll talk about, especially in future episodes, if you're ever interested in doing another, For sure. um, before, be on again. Yep. before we wrap up, um, we like to do like a lightning round of fun questions, um, we call it a lightning round, but it's actually never really been quick. So if you have like a longer answer, I'll keep it like, yeah. Um, but yeah, we just have a couple of questions. So first one, um, what's the most influential book you've read? Um, it is okay if I'm you're not a reader. Say I know say no. Um, I read um, Shirley Sarman's book. Yep. No, yeah, was movement it? impairment disorder. Yes. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I have it on a on my Kindle, which is not a good form to have it because it's, no. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I'm curious. Was that a, was that a recommendation from the, the internship with? Yeah. Yeah. That was, that was like a, 
you know, a little bit more like PT-ish kind of book, but like, you know, that really helped me understand like how people move and yeah. what they should be doing and the problems that they have aren't the problems that they have. Yeah. Like shoulder impingement isn't shoulder impingement. There's something <laughs> else going on. Yeah. It's, it's not your anatomy. That's the problem. It's, it's the way you're Correct. using it. Yeah. Yeah. I think Correct. that's a, that's a fantastic book. I'll, I'll link it in the show notes. Um, yeah. Cause a lot of like the humeral anterior glide syndrome, they detail the whole process and it, it helps to make a lot of sense out of it. Um, rather than just saying like, yeah, pointing to something and being like, Oh, that's a dysfunction. Like it, it yeah, right. it really your helps. Bicep yeah, yeah. It's like, <laughs> your bicep tendonitis. Yeah. Your bicep Um, is there any book that you're reading right now? Um, I am actually not like a huge book guy. Yeah. Um, but I do like from a book standpoint, I did get um, Pat Davidson's Rethinking the Big Patterns. I do oh, have to yeah. dive into that at some point. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it seems like that was a, got a good few recommendations on that. So I'm yeah. probably dive into that sometime soon. But, you know, much more like a, again, like I talked about earlier, like I love yeah. like having conversations like this. Like I learn a lot from these types of you know, podcasts yeah, or videos sure. or products or just like talking to professionals. Yeah. You know, I love like that kind of learning style um, yeah. where I can like ask questions and, and really dive in. Yeah. Um, and so I guess just, kind of just, just on that personally, note, so, that's how I learn. Yeah. And uh, well, not, not one of our traditional lightning round questions, but is there a particular um, like podcast or source that you like for, for some of the stuff that kind of keeps you up to date or, or keeps you thinking? Like Will's, yeah. you know, podcast has been around a long time and yeah you know for strengthening like that's the that's to me that's like a great podcast uh eric Cressy's podcast is yeah. phenomenal um yeah those are two that i that i frequent a lot nice um all right next question uh, this one doesn't have to do with books i promise <laughs> um if you could have any meal delivered to your door tonight from anywhere in the world what would it be I would say some pasta from Italy. All right. I feel like like more than half have been like pasta or pizza from Italy. That's awesome. That's I love it. I love it. Yeah. Nice. Okay. Um, last question. Uh, if you could go back in time and give advice to a younger version of yourself, what piece of advice would you give? Yeah, this is something I would definitely do. <laughs> um, I wish I could have... I guess not network, but like, I wish I would have reached out to more professionals when mm -hmm. I was younger. And my second one is during my internships, I wish I would have spent more time with the quote unquote, like business or back end of the business side of things. Since I'm now yeah. working like the private sector, I was so very interested in like the nitty gritty anatomy stuff. And look, that helped me get to where I'm at today, but you know, that's one thing I wish I would have like spent more time learning about how to run yeah. a business and do that kind of stuff. And just like, you know, when I was in college, like, you know, I was at, I was, I interned at Villanova and like there was the basketball strength coach. And I like, I went over one time for like a half hour. Mm -hmm. It's like, come on, like, I could have done better there. You know, like yeah. just network more and be a little bit more aggressive. I was naturally like very like, kind of introverted, like kind of shy, like mm -hmm. sit back in the back and just kind of like learn and listen a lot. That was kind of like how I was as like an undergrad and grad student in the first year kind of yeah. getting started. Um, and I still don't like that today a little bit, but yeah, likewise. I wish yeah. I wish I would have like put myself out there a little more and be vulnerable and mm -hmm. you know, say, Hey, I'm Rob. I want to learn. Like I didn't really do any of that. So I wish I would have just put myself out there, reach out to people. And now with email and Instagram and Twitter, you can just like shoot people messages and get access to anybody you want in the world. Like, my gosh, so easy yeah, now. For sure. No, I, I think that's a solid piece of advice. And I, I, I resonate with that too. I think, yeah, always like a little bit too shy to ask questions or too shy to like, you know, kind of get out there, pick people's brain or, or I was never necessarily sure what questions to ask. And so I think if anything, just kind of showing up in certain places and being there is, is better and you'll bound, you're bound to have questions, right? Yeah. 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 Like I was the, like, even if I like attended a seminar, like mm -hmm. I was never the type of person to like raise my hand at the end when someone asked me a question. <laughs> yeah. You know, I'm much more the guy that would like go up to someone and be like, hey, I have a question. Like yeah. I'm do much better not in front of big groups. It's kind of, yeah. you know, at the time it was, 
you know, silly of me, but. Well, I mean, now you're the one leading those big groups. So. Yeah, I know. And I'm doing lectures and presentations and. <laughs> Yeah. I, I, that's yeah. I wasn't a, you know that's how that's how the career started. I wasn't you know wasn't a great presenter. I wasn't a good public speaker, and you know now I do those things every day for a living and I'm pretty sure. good at them. So yeah, nice. Well, uh, yeah. On that note, like where where can people find you? Uh, social media. Uh, tell us like you know all the handles and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, Instagram Rob Rubina three um, on Twitter as well at Rob Rubina. Um, pretty somewhat active on both of those. Um, you know, so if you ever need any help with anything or mm-hmm. interested in hanging out, if you're a professional on a network or if you're a parent or an athlete, you know, I can definitely yeah. serve and help anyone with any sports, specifically baseball, obviously. Yeah. And then, yeah, in that regard, if somebody's interested in coming to train with you or do you guys have any like programs going on or anything like that this summer? Because like I said, this is going to come out on uh, July 1st, this coming Friday. So is there anything going on this summer or anything like kind of down the pipeline that you want to give people a little? Yeah, I mean, model all year round. Nice. Yeah, our main our main training model is just the, the main service that we're offering, which is, you know, semi-private training with individual programming. Yeah, uh, so no deadline so- to sign up, right? Nope. Sweet. Nope. And train whenever you want for however long you want and we'll help you out and help you reach your goals. Cool. And that's Ascent Athlete. I'll, I'll drop the information in the, in the show notes too and uh, make sure to tag you. But yeah, yeah. Awesome. Hey, I, I really appreciate it. Um, that was a lot of fun. I really enjoy <laughs> talking to you about all this stuff and, and I appreciate you taking awesome. the time to share that information. So No problem. Thank you for having me on and I hopefully everyone enjoyed the show. Cool. Thank you.